0: Hey listeners, this is William Sterling and you're listening to the Killer Mediums podcast where we talk about all of your favorite horror tropes and how they manifest across all your favorite mediums of entertainment. Today's topic is horror therapy and we are joined by guests Preston Fossil and Chris Grosso and we have returning co-host Jesse Sexton. We're going to be digging into Preston and Chris's new book, Necessary Death, specifically two chapters about It and Halloween. So if you haven't read those books or seen those movies and you don't want them spoiled, you should go watch them slash read them now. Uh, but for everybody else, here we go. Let's get spooky.
1: coroner's tied bells to everybody in the morgue. So if they heard a ting, they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go.
0: everybody how are we doing tonight
2: hey oh well thank you
0: awesome
3: fantastic Um,
0: (laughs) Preston you've been on the show uh relatively recently so listeners are a little bit familiar with you but I'll, I'll go ahead and throw it to you for the first introduction for anybody that missed your last episode anybody that's not familiar with you um can you introduce yourself to listeners just a little bit
2: uh, yeah, It's uh, my name is Preston Fossil. I am a uh, writer and journalist. I've had nonfiction work featured in Fangoria Magazine, Rue Morgue, and Scream Magazine, and across various horror websites. Uh, and I've uh, written three horror novels at this point. My latest, uh, Beasts of 42nd Street, was released earlier this year from Cemetery Dance.
0: Very nice. Uh, and then you went ahead and mentioned Jesse. So uh listeners if you listen to our episode with dr matthias clausen about recreational horror and why we enjoy these types of things the psychology behind it you will remember jesse from that but jesse for anybody that missed that episode would you go ahead and introduce yourself for the night as co-host
1: of course um so i am jesse sexton i am a licensed professional counselor. I've been practicing for eight years, and I see mostly teenagers and adults with anxiety, ADHD, um, and on the spectrum. Um, I am really excited to be here, obviously, with a therapeutic book, but I'm very excited to be here.
0: And last but certainly not least, Chris, uh, would you take a second to introduce yourself for listeners?
3: Yeah, I write some books. I work with human beings in the mental health field um respect to you for the work you do with teenagers and i worked with them for years so my hat's off to you i know that's not easy work um and i like shenanigans so that's me we love shenanigans on this show the more yeah, shenanigans, might be a good fit
0: <laughs> um so what gathers us today is y'all's new book necessary death it is coming out on halloween if i'm not mistaken october 31st yeah Uh, I'm very excited because I get to celebrate the release of it with Preston in uh, Virginia in a couple of days so excited for this book I got my hands on it uh, a couple of weeks ago read through it and it is amazing but I guess I'll start with Preston Um, would you like to introduce this book to our listeners what is this book about um, and why are we on the show tonight.
2: Uh, it's it's not quite like anything that I think is out there right now. Uh, it's actually uh, Chris's brainchild. Uh, Chris came to me several years ago with the idea for this, and uh, it's sort of a fusion of film study slash self-help guide slash spiritual meditation using horror films as a focal point. Uh, Chris, since this is your baby, I feel like maybe you should, you know, step in here and, you know, clarify slash elaborate on what I've already said.
3: I like the way you describe it. When we, we did that podcast last week, I was so impressed. I'm like, damn, he did better than I could. So I thank you, Preston. But I mean, really, yeah, it, it it's, you know, I'm glad that it's seeing the light of day next week on Halloween. Uh, this is a book that's been five years in the making. And uh, yeah, I, I approached Preston about it when I first had the idea, uh, I love horror conventions. I also have a penchant for mental health, having worked in the field and written several books on the topic. I'm an individual in recovery from alcoholism, plus self-harm, depression, suicidal ideations. You name it, I've been through it. Um, And I'm grateful to be on the other side of it today. So going to a lot of horror conventions, um, I realized that there was this untapped demographic of human beings that, for the most part, that I'd run into... Really haven't had access to this sort of material, various coping skills. Um, I don't, I'm not a big fan of self help, but I get it. Self help, self improvement, self wellness, just healing essentially. And so I was like, well, shit, there is so much in the horror genre that lends itself to mental health. If you look deeper. And, um, so I started to put together the proposal for my litter agent and I quickly realized this undertaking was beyond the scope of what I alone felt I had the capacity to do. And having read a lot of Preston's writing with Fangoria and his first book, Our Lady of the Inferno, which uh, was brilliant. If you have not read that book, I can't recommend enough, as well as all of Preston's others. I just most recently read Beast of 42nd Street, which was incredible. Um, Yeah, Preston's writing in this book, I'm just going to – he knows I've said it. It blows mine out of the water, but it was so much fun to write with him. It was intimidating, but I knew he was the man for the job, and I was – very humbled. And I'm quite honored that he's my co-author of this book. And yeah, so in a a long-winded nutshell, there you go.
1: So you all met because of this book, essentially, you connected to create this.
3: Through Fangoria first, but yeah, Preston, go ahead and yeah.
2: Yeah, because uh, Chris and I were both contributing content to the magazine, and uh, they had a publishing wing at the time that put out my debut novel, Our Lady of the Inferno, that Chris mentioned a moment ago. And Chris read it and invited me onto his podcast, The Indie Spiritualist. And then after it was right after the podcast, we were on the podcast. And then afterwards, Chris said, Hey, I want to run something by you between having read this book and between having just spoken to you on the show. And that was the birth of Necessary Death. And it's, it's not like anything I've read before. It's not like anything I've worked on before. Like Chris's ideas for this really pushed me as a writer. Uh, We did the proposal and then the book got picked up. And after it initially got picked up, there was this big intimidation moment for me where I felt, I don't know if I'm ready to tackle this. And I don't know if I'm ready to undertake a project like this. But, you know, going back and looking over Chris's notes on it and everything that he had said that he wanted this to be and its mission statements really pushed me to grow as a writer and pushed me to expand my boundaries and go places I had never gone before.
1: Hmm. So if you don't mind, I'll summarize a little bit the structure of the book and then ask them a question about that. Um, So you have the, the wombo combo of, oh, the horror. And Oh, the Humanity, where we get a little bit of a summary of the horror series that you're talking about. And then Oh, the Humanity is how you apply it to our lives and our psychology. So Preston, how did you come about your interest in psychology? Because I'm now familiar with Chris, thanks to my impulsive buying. Um, But tell me a little bit how you came to the interest in the psychology of, of all this.
2: So I was part of this generation that grew up on Silence of the Lambs and CSI and all of these crime procedural shows of the 90s and early 2000s that really emphasized psychology as a tool in fighting crime. And we all thought that we were going to grow up to be Clarice Starling and catch serial killers and my career plan for myself for the longest time was going to be criminal psychologist by day, writer by night, because even as a teenager, I had this very practical view of the world and I understood, okay, Stephen King and Dean Koontz and Danielle Steel support themselves as writers and everybody else has some other sideline and then writing is their fun money. And so I set about putting myself on this life path to do that the very first job i had working out of high school was interning for the police department evidence room in the uh, town where i grew up in in oklahoma and i did that for 18 months and then went on a uh, college degree plan towards getting a degree in uh, abnormal psychology with the idea i'd go on to get the masters the doctorates and i wanted to apply for the fbi special agent program that was my life goal for years and years and life circumstances conspired to keep me in college for longer than I necessarily would have otherwise wanted to or actually been in. There were some family illnesses, uh, some other family things happened, and uh, there were just periods during my time in college where I could not take on a full course load. And so it took me six and a half years to get a four-year psychology degree And over the course of that time, just being in that world and getting more life experience, I realized maybe it'd be better to write about serial killers than interact with them every day. I I fortunately realized I don't have the temperament to really live in that world. And so I uh, had to take a ton of hard science courses for my psychology degree because Sam Houston differentiates between psychology as a soft science and then the hard sciences of biology, physics, chemistry, yada, yada. And I had enough uh, background there that I was able to go to work in optics and become an optician and an optometric assistant. But I always maintained that interest in psychology, and I very much apply that in my horror writing. Uh, if anybody reads a piece of horror fiction that I've written, you're getting a very psychologically – realistic portrayal of the people that I'm writing about. And I think that was something that proved attractive to Chris. Uh, we, we talked about that the first time I was an indie spiritualist and with him having read Our Lady of the Inferno and having a background in mental health himself, I think he recognized that I, uh, I still had that backgrounds to fall back on. And, uh, so kind of the, the, oh, the horror, oh, the humanity is kind of divided into theory and to practice. Uh, my sections, like, look at the themes of psychology in these films and the different psychological ideas and concepts behind them, like Jungian theory or ideas of the id. And then Chris, in his section, who has the ha- Chris has the actual hands on experience in applying this stuff, goes into how to put that theory into application. In everyday life.
0: So let me bring it over to Chris then. Um, So with this book as your brainchild initially, what was the process like for picking which horror movies or franchises you wanted to focus on and then how to tie them to, oh, the humanity? Were they... Were they movies that you picked because you really liked the movies and then you found the, oh, the humanity tie to it, or were they movies that you were watching the movies and there was a natural, oh, the humanity tied to them. So those were the ones you worked into the book.
3: Yeah, I think more the latter, you know, they were all movies that really resonated with me, not just as horror films, but like heart films, um, you know, Halloween, for example, my, that's my all time favorite movie period. And today auspiciously is its 45th birthday, oh. um, today was released 45 years ago so yeah i uh i'm not the only thing that turned 45 this year i love that i was born the same year halloween came out um but you know that movie always just you know when i first saw it and i was younger i didn't have the context to which really experience it at a deeper level i was you know i don't know a kid but as i grew older and started to watch it um yeah, there was just something about it. And when I started learning about Jungian psychology and shadow self and things of that nature, um, I started to kind of tie that together. Um, but really each movie I think came from a place of just of heart and love and, and a lot of nostalgia. And of course, ones that I felt could really lend themselves to this book and this project. There's so many others that could have made it, you know, and, and I've joked with Preston, like any good horror movie, there's always a sequel. So you never know down the line, but, um, yeah,
0: yeah. So that was going to be my follow-up question was, were there any movies left on the cutting room floor that you're like, oh man, I wish we would have found space for
3: them.
2: Oh, Preston, what do you think about that? I mean,
3: yeah. What do you think?
2: <laughs> yeah, I really deferred to Chris on choosing the movies because they wanted films that were going to be readily accessible to the average film fan, but that were also still going to resonate with horror, horror lovers. Uh, we wanted to walk that tightrope between not being pandering, but then also really opening in any reader who wants it to come to this. So, you know, we've got things like Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, uh, Candyman, Halloween, stuff that even if you're not a hardcore dive in the Bull horror fan, you're still familiar with these titles. Um if we did a second one, I don't know, maybe some a little bit more esoteric stuff. Maybe mix in some more major movies with things that are a little more left field. I'd I'd really love to do Videodrome. Mm. Uh, I, I'd really love to, to look at a lot of the uh, themes in, in Videodrome and how those apply to social media today. Um, and I'd really love to do something with The Shining. But I'd yeah. want to be something really original i wouldn't want it to be looking at themes of domestic violence and alcoholism in the shining because everybody's done that before i would i would want to find the original idea there that hasn't been explored
3: yeah i would like to see like suspiria and the wicker man like i don't like preston nailed it though we had to really toe the line of making this accessible but if my horror hard like nerd heart could have like had its way it would have been like completely uh, not fully abstract but Definitely not, you know, things that the majority of the readers of this book would probably know. So we did have to be cognizant of that fact and honor that. But, um, but yeah, there's, I would, I would love to do a deep dive on, on some more obscure, and not that for a horror fan, Suspiria and Wicker Man or, you know, everyone's seen it. But again, if you're trying to write a book that is for horror fans, but also for humans that might not be a big horror fan. Not, I don't think *Sasquatch* would be the best one to to throw in there. *Return of the Living Dead* was a fun one to put in instead of *Night mm-hmm. of the Dead*, like that, you know. So we we took some liberties, I think, with with certain ones, but um, but yeah, overall we had to keep it kind of user friendly, I suppose. Yeah.
1: I would say even with using very popular movies, you had insights that as a I'm not going to say non-horror fan because then I get kicked out of this room right now, (laughs) but as a newer horror appreciator, um, there were themes and just observations that I had not considered like through Preston's summaries. And so that's honestly what has brought me to the genre is, is William Sterling's like summarizations and interest. And that's what inspires people to know that like horror is more than just the nasty stuff. It is, like a reflection of humanity. And so that's what I really appreciate about the book is that you bring it back to humanity and you say, well, how do we use this? Like, why is it, why is this movie how it is?
3: I think you just said something really important too, about like, in the beginning you were saying, you know, I don't want to say I'm not a horror fan because then I get kicked out of the room. No, this book is like, come in the room, hang out with us. Let's have a conversation because Uh yeah, horror is the underlying theme, but it so is the human experience and the human condition just as much. So um, no, ev- everyone's welcome in this book, you know, and hopefully maybe it'll help spark some new horror fans while we're at it. Win-win. So what I, what I want to try
0: to do now is let's go ahead and walk listeners through just one of these chapters so that they get a really concrete sense of what this book is and what it can do. So um, we're going to open up with the it chapter. Um, that was one of the two that we picked to do for this episode so we'll start like it does in the book with oh the horror so Preston if you could talk us through a little bit of what oh the horror it was with it uh and then we'll go to oh the humanity with Chris and then we'll all come together again for the
3: practice at the end of it uh and can, I, before we start, what this is. can I give you a little insider nugget on the oh the horror oh the humanity yes please so- because I'm a nerd for this shit. When I watch it, I love documentaries about films I love and books. I want to know everything. So I have to give credit to the garbage Pail kids because a few years ago, uh, I grew up on those, right? And then a few years ago, they released a specifically horror related series and they were amazing. So it they were hard to find. Like yeah, they were only at certain Walmarts. And I remember like when I would find them, it was like a kid. It was like the holy grail. Um, and I spent. Uh, more money than I should have on them to get the whole set and I bought frames and all that stuff and so I was thinking as we were like you know we were talking with the publisher how are we going to separate like these sections that are some semblance of cohesive and I I didn't know I was and anyways I was sitting in my apartment thinking on it and I was a little frustrated and then I just kind of looked up at my wall and I saw these garbage pill kids and the oh they're actually like oh the horror or something stupid like (laughs) you know do but I'm like there it is. Oh, the horror. Oh, the humanity. So anyways, there's a little nugget that we haven't talked about yet. So that's why the book is divided like that. Thank you. Garbage bill kids.
2: So for the it chapter the uh oh the hum- the oh the horror portion, my part of the chapter, I give a sort of brief blow by blow of uh it uh I chose to focalize it through Andy machete's it's just because i prefer i prefer Andy machete's it part one uh the less said about it part two, the better okay. but uh <laughs> Uh I I grew up in the eighties and the nineties, and so I just have a tremendous nostalgia for that period, and I just love what he did with that material, and so that's what I chose to focus on. I even have a footnote in there, apologies to Tim Curry and John Ritter. Uh, (laughs) but I uh give a blow by blow of it part one and two, and then what we really explore through it are themes of individuality versus group identity and The need to safely navigate those two things at the same time and the way that humanity has to do this sort of tightrope walking act because no man is an island, but at the same time, completely subsuming one's identity to a group completely eliminates the individual and leads to things you know, on the very far extreme end of the spectrum, like cults or communist dictatorships, where there's this one line of thinking that everybody must toe the line on or else that's curtains for you. And It's, to me, is a really beautiful encapsulation of that because everybody in the Losers Club brings something unique and special to the group. But at the same time, Is it capable of working together with the other individuals in that group to achieve a common goal? And nobody in the Losers Club ever really loses their identity to the group. There's no real leader of the club. You can't say that any one of the kids or later adults is the driving figurehead behind it. There is very much this spirit of cooperation and coming together to achieve a common goal without losing yourself to that group identity.
0: I love that because, well, I love that for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I love that is whenever we talk about it, sure, Pennywise kind of takes the spotlight of any conversation about it. But the very next thing that people go to is that club and everybody, it feels like, has a loser that they relate to so question for the group who is your loser of choice and i i guess this is kind of two different questions uh is there a loser that you relate to and then who's your favorite loser starting with chris (laughs) oh man
3: yeah i'm ben Hanscom. i mean like you know the 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 husky little little buddy that's you know the hopeless romantic kind of emo um yeah totally resonate with him for sure my favorite um though i mean i i liked him uh but um oh my god this is so like i'm having a total the the guy that stayed back and when everyone left Stan, jesus no it wasn't stan the um no mike Stan's
2: the jewish mike. kid mike stays yeah. behind mike i was
0: stayed stayed behind because stan died
2: oh my god yes. I <laughs>
3: So, wh- who's a horror fan? Wait, what? Oh. <laughs> Mike. <Good> morning. <laughs> I worked a long day already today. I'm sorry. No, no excuses, Mike. I really like Mike's character because he, you know, he he was there for it, and and he was like the kind of the gatekeeper, and uh, so he's probably my favorite.
2: Yeah. Preston. Now it's time for me to lose my horror cred because Ben. When Ben grows up, does he become the the, the playwright, the the director? Andrew that that is him yeah oh yep. yeah it's been it's been for me too then i mean up until i was 20 i was 300 pounds my uh my childhood was just a succession of gaining weights and getting more and more isolated from my peers and not really feeling like i fit in and literally not fitting in and then i went through this period of transformation in college and got into better shape and became more sociable and got more confidence and learned how to better interact with people. And, and now I'm a writer. So I've kind of gone on that similar trajectory. I really like Stan. I mean, probably because I don't often see Jewish people represented in the media in non-stereotypical roles. And it's like, to a certain extent, you know, he's going through these different rites of passage and different uh, life cycle things like, you know, having his bar mitzvah, but that's, that's, that's just common. But I mean, other than that, he's not really defined by his Jewishness to the extent that Jewish characters in the media tend to be. And so that was that was really cool for me. I really wish that he wasn't the character who, you know, freaks out and kills himself and isn't there for the bulk of the present day segments. But for the time that he is on screen, the stuff that he goes through and the way that he's represented, uh, I thought was really cool.
0: Yeah, I and I think that plays really well to what you were saying about the group identity too. Like he is clearly his own individual character, but the stereotype doesn't define everything that he does in the book like it does in so many other pieces that we see Mm -hmm. Um, cool um okay so then pressing on into oh the humanity so chris what lessons were we going to go through and learn uh after reading it and like camaraderie that's not (laughs) even close to a word being (laughs) with the losers club for a whole (laughs) for a whole summer we so good i'm gonna
3: shut up (laughs) <laughs> they camaraderie the shit out of their friendship. Um, that work. <laughs> no, I, you know, what resonated with me personally was that I was, I did have friends, but I've always been introverted. I've always been kind of shy. Um, definitely like other than, you know, I was skateboarding back in the eighties when it was not a cool thing to do, but also playing soccer and hockey, which was mm-hmm. a little more socially acceptable. So I was always kind of my own like misfit outcast and, that resonated deeply with me with the Losers Club, you know, the kind of like dorky nerdy other thans, but that found each other and um and I had those friends when I was growing up too, and they were the friends I started watching horror movies with um at a young age, and we would sneak watching when our parents were asleep and uh and it was it was really cool, so you know I guess I really wanted to include this in in that regard at least. Because even into adulthood, you know, I find at forty five, I've moved out to California from Connecticut. Uh, I've been here not all that long, but like kind of making new friends and and being social. It's it's uh, it's interesting. I'll say it's interesting, but um, it's also forced me out of my comfort zone. And I remember, you know, like like a lesson like from it. You know, these these people were stronger together, and you know, even to take a page from my recovery the part of my life alcoholics anonymous like um you know stronger together the group together can recover whereas the individual at least in my case can't i've tried and it doesn't work so um yeah just just you know going it alone in life is so difficult especially when it comes to mental health and a lot of people suffer unnecessarily because Um, either they're embarrassed or they're ashamed, there's stigmas around mental health. Um, and that's why I choose for me to, to heal out loud. I want people to know that they're, they're, you're not alone, you know, and it's okay. So yeah, that's, that's a little bit about it and why I wanted it in there.
0: I think that kind of drives to the point of the book too, because after that massive trauma happens to them as children, uh instead of trying to heal together we see the losers club split up and go their own ways over the course of their lives and none of them are in a good place when it reemerges 26 27 years later um Obviously. it's yeah. it's not until they come back together as a group that they actually start like putting things back together and yes combating the evil clown also but uh there's a real sense of healing among the losers club once they're reunited again so
1: so you mentioned a different in a different section that um, inner child and just the the practice that you put into the humanity was make a new friend. And you know, as an adult, like that is, that's a hard thing to do. We have our own lives. We're really busy, things like that. But we all still have that kid, that weird kid inside of us who wasn't quite sure what they were doing. And so even as an adult, when we're trying to do those things, it's it feels about the same. That's what I loved about what you guys wrote in the it chapter of finding your people, you know, as weird as you are, whatever it is, finding your people.
3: Yeah, cuz they are out there, you know, and I'm I'm a living testament to move to the other side of the freaking country at 45 and really not know anyone here and I found my people and I've had to be a little get uncomfortable and kind of reach out, but um I've done it and I've I've met some cool people and sure, I miss my family and friends back East, but it is doable. So if you're someone listening to this and you feel a bit lonely, like, you know, there's recommendations in the book, but of course, like there's meetup.com there's, there's all sorts of things online, you know? And, um, so it, it is doable to get out there and even just like one or two people in your life. So it's not just you, like makes a big difference.
1: Oh yeah, you can still find your losers club at 30 and 35 and 40 and 45. I wrote in my notes as I was reading losers club party of one cuz that's how I spent so much of my time until being an adult and recognizing things like ADHD and then entering parenthood like you don't you you get more inspired. The more you know about yourself, the more inspired you are to find specific people and I would say William over here with is Twitter this has all been because of that of just talking to people who like the same things and here we are
2: however many years later so
0: <laughs> I'll own it Preston anything to add before we jump into Halloween
2: uh just that uh, to speak to something that you all brought up a moment but before uh I think it is kind of it's in a nightmare on Elm Street of the two kind of encapsulating chapters of necessary death because I really feel that's the Losers Club are sort of analogs for the horror fans and the movie fans that we hope to reach with this. Uh, to a certain extent, all of the kids in the club are sort of disenfranchised and kind of afloat in the world and don't really feel like they have any moorings to other people before they all come together. And uh, I think that a lot of people in the the horror fandom feel the same way. That's uh being a horror fan is something that maybe sets them apart in some way or that they are a horror fan because they are different in some way. Uh, but at the same time, there is this wider community that's out there that they can find camaraderie through and fellowship with. And at the same time, a lot of the people in this fandom who may be struggling with different mental health issues or different social issues because they have this outsider status may not trust what they perceive of as the establishments, may not trust the mental health industry, may not trust traditional psychiatry. And so that's why I think this was such a special and important idea that Chris came up with was because maybe they don't trust that initially. Maybe they don't know how to reach out initially, but here's this book that can act as a gateway to that because it speaks to them through their language. It speaks to them about mental health through the language of horror movies through movies. And so I think that it is not just a story about these kids coming together and forming this community and this the sense of belonging but it's sort of the mission statement of the book
0: thank you let's drive on over to halloween then so chris you have already prefaced this as one of your favorite movies do we want to flip the script a little bit and let you do the oh the horror section this time
3: oh (laughs) jeez on the spot i can't put preston's shoes
1: (laughs) turntables (laughs)
3: yeah remix um i would botch it to be honest with you i know my limitations i love your idea i want to go there with you but i preston will nail it and i will not be able to do it service like he will i apologize and i'm usually good on the cuff let's go with it i'm i i'm willing to go there with you i like what you just did but (laughs) fuck man preston will nail this i know and i just
2: and i couldn't talk about the application i always tell everybody and you probably agree with this uh that's getting your bachelor's is about theory and identification and then getting your master's and higher is about the actual practical application. And I'm stopped there at the bachelor's. I can tell you what something is. I can't tell you what to do about it. Chris is the one who can tell you what to do about it. So if we tried to flip it and you wanted to ask me about, oh, the humanity, I'd be like, oh, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yes. And- Humans have feelings too.
0: They do things. Stabbing people is bad.
2: Okay. Right.
3: <laughs> but this brings up a good point, though. This is where I recognized if I was going to do this the way I thought it could really be done in its best capacity to serve human beings at its greatest potential, I couldn't do it by myself. And that's this right here is exactly why I asked Preston. You know, like that's why I I couldn't have done it without him. So.
0: All right. So then, normal approach. Um,
1: Oh, the horror. Preston!
0: we've got the horror of Halloween, which, timing, perfect. (laughs) Can you tell us about uh, Oh, the horror of John Carpenter's Halloween?
2: So Chris and I both saw a lot of uh, identification between Michael Myers and Carl Jung's idea of the shadow self and the Shadow Self, uh, I think most people are familiar with the idea of the id the The shadow self is sort of the id on steroids. Carl Jung was a student slash colleague of freud's and he took freud 's idea of the id ego super ego triumvirate and went a step further with it and He saw the shadow self as this aspect of humanity that is very dark and primal and very urge based and driven but still necessary to being a human because he also saw it as the seats of human, of creativity. Uh, he saw this dark aspect of ourselves as where different and new ideas are born because it's unbridled and because it's not inhibited by having to stay within certain lines. Uh, he saw it as the receipt of resistance and rebellion in people that without a shadow self, and the capacity to be subversive, that there wouldn't be a such thing as social change or revolution. And so going back to a phrase that we used earlier, uh, sort of this tightrope act that you had to be in touch with your shadow self, you had to acknowledge and be able to dialogue with your shadow self, but you could not allow your shadow self to overcome you. Because being completely subsumed by one shadow self would be to be completely subsumed by these dark, unbridled, uncontrolled desires and urges. And that's sort of what we see in Michael Myers. He is completely given over to all of these dark swirling impulses. And something that's always made Michael Myers very scary and very real to me, at least in the first movie... And I even have a footnote in here, we're ignoring the sequels, people, uh, <laughs> is that he is written like a very believable, disturbed person, and you never get a glimpse metaphorically behind that max mask you never get a look into what's going on in his head but there's very clearly some kind of narrative that he's following that nobody else in that movie is able to understand it's not just random and it's not just like off the cuff scary shit what's going to be the creepiest thing in this moment he's working towards something He's creating. He sort of makes these art projects out of the people he kills. And so you get to see all of these potentially positive aspects like creativity and ingenuity, but subsumed to the worst possible versions of that taken to the logical extreme.
3: Huzzah. See, I couldn't have done that.
2: That's
1: yeah, That's no, so I'm not saying I knew what Chris could say or not, but you're right. That was <laughs> just chef's kiss.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we we were just rewatching Halloween the other night with our neighbors. And first of all, half of their questions were derailed by trying to answer them through the lens of the sequels. Like, why is he trying to kill Jamie Lee Curtis? Is that his sister? I, well, I mean, what timeline are we talking about? <laughs> but yeah, everything you're saying is like he is moving with such a purpose every single time that the camera is on him or that the camera is him
1: but no one knows besides him yeah what that is
0: okay so then taking michael myers oh the humanity question
3: <laughs> I'm just going to go out, out on a limb and say you know what I like the sequels all right I do I don't care what anybody says I don't I can't I can't fuck with halloween resurrection but other than that I like them all. I don't give a shit. I'll say it loud and proud. Even Halloween ends has its moments and I know that that is like the most divisive one of of the bunch, but um
0: Chris, we just lost so many listeners.
3: <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's all right, man. I I I wear that proudly. Like Halloween 4 was the shit. That movie had the best goddamn Halloween intro like to any it, it caught like the halloween essence to the t halloween five yeah it was kind of garbagey mm-hmm. halloween six like had its nostalgia for me i saw it in the theater when i was younger and um halloween three i absolutely adore um you take the title halloween out of it just season of the witch that's a fucking great film um i'll go to bat i you know what you want to lose the rest of your listeners <laughs> i like rob zombies halloween's oh, even man. the second one yeah i did and I get the argument. I understand where people are coming from, but I fucking loved those films. Um, I like weird and I like Rob Zombie's films. I loved House of a Thousand Corpses. Devil's Rejects was great. Three from Hell. All right. I could do without that. But um I loved his take. Yeah. He explained Myers and it took away the, you know, why is this dude just killing people? I get people's complaints, but I, fu- I just like Michael Myers. All right. So. I don't know. I was just excited when they announced Miramax got the rights to do. They're going to do a TV series and a movie. Like new Meyer stuff is coming. Like hell yeah! Most people have given up. I I'm going down with the ship to the bitter end. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway what was your question again? <laughs> <Not that> I've <laughs> Completely like. We were dead. Yeah, no
0: one's going to listen to what I say. Anyways, I feel like. I feel like this should be a whole no, like, this was season H- of the uh, season of the show on its own is going to <laughs> be like, so this one, so all
1: um, so the humanity has started, humanity. everyone has different opinions and <laughs> we have to just accept
3: that. Yes. Honestly. Yeah. Right. Yes. That's right. And that, and with that, I'm not saying my opinion is right and anyone else's is wrong. I'm just saying it's my opinion and on this hill. <laughs> yeah. But no, you know what? I will say, though, to to Preston, what he was saying, oh, the horror, I actually just bought the novelization of Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills. Uh, I haven't bought or read Halloween Ends yet. I'm almost done with Halloween Kills. I find that the novelizations added much more depth to Myers, um, not understanding his motive. Like, it, essentially what it does is it just like there's these little sidebars where you are actually Michael Myers kind of in that moment. And there's no thought. It's just like awareness of what's happening around you. And kill, move forward, kill, destroy. Like and like, Preston said, like create. Where he creates, like in um, Halloween 2018, one of the cops, he he takes his head off and puts a <laughs> the cop's flashlight up and makes him a human jack o' lantern. Like, um, I just love you know how that elaborated more on the Myers character again, not trying to give you any rationale why he's doing it. It doesn't try to do that. It just really brings you deeper into this dude is just fucking insane. And he is there to kill and move forward. And until like, he just views things that are moving and alive as something in his way. And until he has made it dead, it's that's, that's his sole mission. And once it's dead, he moves on to the next. So anyways, I love that a lot. Um Yeah.
0: Yeah, I just looked it back up because I remember like somebody I really respected wrote those novelizations, Tim Wagner. So like, oh, uh, okay, that makes sense. That
3: that makes yeah, sense. okay, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, and I and I'm like I said, I'm really digging it, and and it is like, um, it's adding more to that, that experience for me. So yeah, it's good stuff, in my opinion.
0: Nice. Um. Okay. So let's let's really deep dive into the oh the humanity portion of it now, though, with the with the shadow <laughs> itself and. Um, if we want to introduce the three two one journaling uh that's the practice for this one um oh yeah building into that a little bit here
3: I'm glad that I actually have a copy of this book because you know I, um yeah so I actually just i was telling William um before we start recording I just got the advanced copies today and one of the practices um at the end of this chapter was shadow journaling. And I just put a number of prompts of journaling prompts in there because for me, journaling just in general has been super helpful, especially like we were talking about it and being introverted and shy. Um, If I wasn't able to talk to other people about things, at least when I was writing them down, that was still some semblance of getting things outside of myself. Uh, I want to be clear that journaling or any of the practices in this book aren't like Meant as full on treatment, you know if you're struggling with mental health, I always encourage people to get the proper care and whatever that is for you. It's different for everybody. I don't advocate one thing over another. I just ask, please find what works for you and and go with that. but journaling seems to be a pretty universal one, and um so now that I actually have the book in front of me, I just open up to I gave twenty shadow work journal prompts. Um I'll read like three of them for your listeners just so they have something if they care to explore it. Here you go. Um Number one, is there a specific emotion you try to avoid more than others? What is your reaction when experiencing this emotion? Number two, what sort of things does your inner voice usually say to you? Is it kind or critical? And then number three is this inner voice actually yours or could it be the result of other people in your life? Like parents, family, friends, or teachers. And again, there's 20 of those. So those are just the first three. They're not in any intentional order. They're just as came to mind. Um, But those right there to me are examples of like the shadow self. We all have one, you know, it's the unconscious part that resides within us. These traumas, these PTSD, like all the things we've gone through as humans that um, even at the molecular level, it's, it's actually often the smaller traumas, the little t traumas that have a greater impact on our adult lives than these major traumas. Cause those are easily identical, identifiable. Excuse me. It's the little ones that we don't think really had any, any major impact. Those are like a snowball. You know, they add on to the other little traumas and all these unresolved issues just can wreak havoc within us. So by journaling, uh, and that's just one of many different shadow technique practices. Um, it starts to get us in touch with these parts of ourselves that we probably otherwise didn't know were there. And then what I would encourage people to do is if you're in therapy or if you, whatever you do, like take those realizations when you're journaling and go deeper with a therapist or bring them into your meditation practice. If you meditate or if you're a hiker, go out hiking and, and just kind of, um, you know, reflect on things that came to mind out in nature. Those, those are just some things that have really been helpful for me in this regard.
1: Yes, we've opened the Pandora's box of therapy and I'm very excited. That's I good. originally had come up with like this very intense question, but I actually found the exact quote I needed and Chris is part of o the humanity. Um, so I'm going to read just this quote, if that's okay with you. Want right. to experience a real horror? Try taking a moment to explore what it means to accept yourself fully in all your perfect imperfections. Take an honest look fearless look at your true self and stay there, acknowledging both the frailty and the glory in the same glance. That vulnerability is terrifying. Like this is why I was so excited to have this meeting and this necessary death book, because this is the point of like, we watch horror or people enjoy horror, because something vulnerable is inside of us. And the real horror is like, our own human decisions and addictions and insecurities and so um i'm wondering chris how did you bridge that gap like how did you go from like acknowledging your real life horror you know to writing those spiritual books like i am so excited by the idea that life is scary even scarier than halloween
3: yeah, really well said. And, and I, I thank you for, for pulling that quote. Cause yeah, that's one that really means a lot to me. You know, it, it, I think it surmises like so much of this book right there. Um, but you know, living through, like I'd said earlier, a lot of the mental health stuff that I did, the addiction, the depression, the self harm. I, I attempted suicide a couple of times. I've been in psychiatric hospitals. I've been in detoxes, jail cells emergency rooms i mean you name it i've gone through it i've literally i was intubated at one point because i stopped breathing due to alcohol it was i've been through it you know and and um when you've gone through things like that or or, i'll use icings having gone through that i realized there's nothing other people could say about me sharing my experience and i haven't already gone through on an emotional level you know that's just their words and knowing that i was not terminally unique in my experiences i decided I'm going to talk about this, you know, and not with any intention of like writing books about, I started writing for websites that accepted unsolicited material. I was unemployed at the time. I'd just gotten back from three months in in rehab and I'd lost my job. My car was repossessed. I moved back in with my parents. This is in my early thirties. I had nothing, but I had like the wherewithal to get back on track and, and continue working on my own life and my healing. So I started writing for these websites and just about some of the pitfalls I've gone through and Hey, here's some things that have worked along the way. A lot of them are included in this book, the coping skills, the meditative practices, some book recommendations, uh just a, a smorgasbord whatever of, of different things. And um yeah, so that's really, I guess what inspired it. You know, I've known a lot of people that have tragically lost their lives well before they should have, whether it's two overdoses or suicides, you know, um, Mental health is a very, very real thing. And so is the stigma that comes along with it. It seems to be getting better as the years goes on, go on. I don't think I'm being Pollyanna-ish in that. Like I really do think like it's becoming more recognized as a very real thing, especially addiction, because other mental health topics seem to be a bit more acceptable. And then you've got the. Addicts and alcoholics that are just drunks and, and junkies and, and no, man, we're human beings and it's a, it's a very legitimate illness. And, uh, so anyways, this book isn't just about that. It's about all these various. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not just mental health. It's life stuff. It's, if you're a human being, you're a human being. I, I'll end with this. I'd, I'd interviewed like 10 years ago, this 80 year old Trappist monk in the lineage of like Thomas Merton and all these great like mystic teachers and, uh i said to him i'm like you know um i forgot how it came up but i'm like yeah i'm a, i'm an individual in recovery and he kind of laughed and i'm like oh is he, is he laughing at me like i'm thinking and and it was more of like a, oh you foolish boy kind of laugh cuz he goes on to say you know i'm in recovery too and i'm like oh shit i didn't know father keating had a habit and but he went on to say i'm in recovery from the human condition and to the varying degrees to which we all suffer wow. and that was like you know now I think of it and it's like, that's just like some elementary school shit. Of course, we're all in recovery, but I didn't have that context then. So that's like what this book is. You know, it's for human beings. We are all in recovery from something or a lot of some things like myself, but um, we don't have to struggle to the extent that many of us do. There are ways to get help, to get better. And I hope this book, if nothing else, is an introduction for that to human beings that pick it up.
1: I love that. And two, the idea that the shadow self is actually a source of strength or creativity. Um, and I pulled another quote from Preston's section of because of the boundless nature and willingness and ability to engage with socially unacceptable thoughts and desires, the clinic, the shadow self is the seat of creativity. So just like that ability to draw our most vibrant ideas, unchecked by fear, shame, hesitancy. And I love that because that's just what you said, Chris was like drawing from that to relate to others. So Preston in in writing about that, like the source of creativity, where did, where did you connect that?
2: Uh, With my own creative self, there's always been a, so I keep talking about tightrope walking act. I don't know why that's the metaphor I keep returning to tonight, but uh, tightrope walking act. It's between, a hobby uh...
1: you need to explore. It's a hobby
2: that
1: <laughs> you need to invest in.
2: My legs aren't the same length. That would be a bad scene. <laughs> <laughs> With my own creative work, there's always been this balance between the deeply sentimental and the deeply dark. And just because of my own personal life experiences and my own perspective on the world, I always felt to a certain extent very in touch with my shadow self and using that as a well for inspiration and creativity. And by being able to connect with those darker parts of myself, I've been able to write a lot of the stuff I have, but measured it with a healthy dose of much more gentler, much more human narrative ideas. Uh, Chris, I think you can definitely see this. You know, you've you've read my stuff. Uh, And I I feel that if you're in touch with the darker aspects of yourself, if you're in touch with certain things that you might not necessarily like about yourself, that that can be very conducive to channeling them into something creative and something positive and something constructive.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shout out to Andy Lou from Beasts of
2: 42nd Street. Oh yeah. You've, yeah, you've read it too.
0: (laughs) Dark with that one.
2: (laughs) And Andy Lu is my shadow self. Uh, I mean, I think I even talk about this in the book that I, I, I fictionalized and personified my shadow self for that book. Uh, you know, he is a theater projectionist. I created this character at the time that I myself was a theater projectionist and, uh, Going back to the things that kept me in college longer than I would have wanted to when I was a sophomore, my mother was diagnosed with leukemia and uh, I was having to take less of a course load to help work to help with hospital bills and running interference with the hospital. Uh, the job she'd been working at the time kept her just as long as they were legally obligated to and then let her go and she lost her health insurance while she was in the cancer ward uh so my entire life at the time was essentially go to school go to work argue at the hospital and hope your mother doesn't die and going back to the it chapter i had no friends uh i just moved to texas right before i started going to college i was originally supposed to help my parents make this move to texas and then i was going to move to florida with my girlfriend and enroll in college there and then we broke up and suddenly i'm unmoored and lost in texas with all of these things going on in my life and i didn't know how to meet people yet i was on the cusp of making this transformation between being this introverted isolated overweight weird kid into being the person i am today and it was just this incredibly dark isolating nihilistic time in my life when it felt like all i have to fall back on for any kind of social support were horror movies. And the one halfway healthy romantic relationship I had at the time partially fell apart because the girl I was seeing was really uncomfortable that i liked horror movies as much as i did and this this isn't a knock on her she was a very wonderful person we're still friends to this day we still talk a couple of times a year but just from her life experiences and her frames of reference and the things that she was into it was upsetting to her that here's this guy who seems nice on the surface, but he also likes movies where women are getting chopped up with axes and you know maybe there's something not quite right going on here and i just remember coming home one night I had argued with the hospital in the morning on the phone gone into work at the movie theater and done a seven hour shift as a projectionist during which I probably didn't leave the booth except to use the bathroom and got home at like one in the morning and I had helped some of the ushers throw some garbage out and I'm covered in old soda and bits of popcorn. And I just flunked down into this old chair in the spare room where I kept all of my movies and DVDs. And I remember looking at the shelf and seeing that like 75% of it were these horror movies that were maybe the source of isolation in my life. And I just remember having the thought to myself, what are you going to turn into? And that I feel was one of the most profound moments of connection with that shadow self I've ever had. And that I used as the jumping off point for this character Andy Lou in Beasts of 42nd Street that I was finally able to bring to narrative fruition all these years later.
0: Mm-hmm. So I know I know writing a novel is not the same thing as the journaling we were just talking about with Chris, but Isn't it? <laughs> but through <laughs> writing Andy Lou, did you feel like that was kind of therapeutic in a sense did that help you wrestle with those emotions after the fact later on
2: oh yeah every book I've written has been me giving myself therapy uh, my first book, Lady of the Inferno, that's me giving myself therapy for stuff that I went through when I was an adolescent. And then Beast of 42nd Street is me giving myself therapy through stuff that I was going through in college. The book that came in between uh, The Despicable Fantasies of Quentin off that's me giving myself therapy through stuff I went through in high school. I was on a panel at houston comic palooza earlier this year and talking about this and i remember saying i'm getting scared because the amount of time in between the stuff that i'm giving myself therapy for and when i'm writing about it is getting smaller and smaller and it's getting oh, no. to the point that my next book is going to be me giving myself therapy for what happened to me last week <laughs> <sighs>
1: i think that's very healthy honestly to, to catch up that closely to what you're working through That's fantastic.
0: Yeah, so first, let me just say thank you both for sharing. Those were like both deeply personal stories. And I know it, it takes a lot to dig into those wells sometimes. But we've talked through it. We've talked about Halloween. Uh, we talked about the movies that aren't in the book. For whatever reason, I chose to lead with that. Um, do y'all want to talk about the rest of the table of contents a little bit? Just kind of what other movies or what other practices can people expect from this book when
3: they flip to the table of contents? Sure. Because you know what? I've got a nifty copy right here in front of me. Yeah. So we did. We talked about that. Um, Oh, we should know. My God, the foreword uh, written by Jason, Jason Pargan, or um, I hope I'm not butchering his last name. David Wong. A lot of people know him as um, the gentleman who wrote John Dies at the End, which became a fantastic fucking movie. Uh, And then, you know, I think there's yeah four John Dies at the End books, which I love all of them. Um, his third in his Zoe Ash novels actually come out next week on the same day as us so shout out to him and those Zoe Ash novels are phenomenal but he wrote the forward for this book which was such a, a rad get for me you know and, and I think Preston too like he's such a brilliant brilliant writer and I love his stuff and he's also like a very human human being so I thought he was a great fit so you know we have him writing the forward and then preface Uh, you know horror, horror and healings what mine was and Preston did my love affair with horror um and that was a lot of fun to write I know Preston we talked about that in a conversation we had last week but then yeah we just go through um chapter 1 is uh becoming your best self isn't just a dream which is uh nightmare on elm street that chapter was
1: very 2 enjoyable I don't think I've understood
3: those books more than
1: reading the oh the horror section and then the oh the humanity like that was the best intro that was fantastic guys
3: Awesome. Thank you. That was a lot of fun to write. And I think we were using that as one of the promo chapters. Cause I mean, I'm happy with all the chapters, like uh for sure. But that one was super strong to me and it was like, yeah, that's, that's a good lead off. For sure. And then we have taking a chainsaw to the unnecessary mass. We wear oh, that's that's a good face. Uh, that was actually inspired by something I wrote for Fangoria. One of my, these are my first or second piece with them. So that was cool. And then we talked about the losers club, Pennywise, Chapter four is um, the power of Christ compels us to explore spirituality and religion, which is the exorcist. Chapter five, brains and mindfulness, um, return of the living dead. And then chapter six, sinking our teeth into life's problems, one bite at a time, jaws. Um, chapter seven, letting ourselves and others off the hook, candy man. Um, chapter eight, the guts of what really going with the flow looks like. Oh, this is another one we got to kind of sneak in there, the thing. I loved writing about the thing because you know that's if you're horror, you know the thing, but a lot of people don't know that movie. And that was such a good fucking movie. I'm just going through these, so Preston, you could jump in when I'm done and talk about any of them, but just the so thing. people have the outline. Um but yeah, I let me mean- So we just have chapter nine, Strangers in Strange Lands and Learning to Make Our Way, Predator, Chapter Ten, The Hell That Is Lived Without Gratitude, Hellraiser, Chapter 11, Hatchet Sleeping Bags and Childhood Trauma, Friday 13th chapter 12 we talked about uh the blackest eyes the devil's eyes and crawling on shadow self halloween and chapter 13 a blood-soaked exploration of guilt and shame carrie so that's a lot and yeah person do you have anything to say about all of those chapters
2: Yeah, <laughs> i was just going to say the, exor- the exorcist uh ended up I think being one of my shorter chapters just because all of the drafts I was coming up with it were so long I think there was a point where like my draft for my portion of the exorcist chapter got up to like 5,000 words and I was going off on these tangents about like Spinoza and like all of these different ideas about religion and spirituality and I finally realized it was going to uh, disproportionately shift the weight of the book it's like why is the exorcist chapter like giant and uh so that one got wheedled down because I ended up just deciding less was better with that one and the thing man the thing talking about this book being a challenge for me as a writer and this book pushing me the thing was a challenge I went through so many different drafts of that chapter that was I think maybe the final one that I actually completed just because trying to articulate all of my thoughts and tying them together into the themes that Chris and I talked about proved to be such an, Almost insurmountable feat. And if it had not been for me being able to rely on some psychiatrist friends of mine and actually bounce things off of them in real time, uh, I actually did a lot of back and forth with a friend of mine named uh, Dr. Erin Chernak, and uh, she is a, a psychiatrist with a, a background in uh, workplace and aviation psychology. And she really helped me to wheedle that and focus that into what it needed to be. But uh, I'm very proud of how that turned out just because of all of the difficulty that went into turning it into what it ended up as.
0: So we are pretty much at time for the episode, but I do want to give it back to y'all one more time. Is there anything else about this book that we haven't touched on yet? Anything about... Uh, oh, the horror! Oh, the humanity we haven't touched on yet, Jesse, are there any questions I haven't given you a chance
3: to ask yet? Mm. Open floor, <laughs> yeah, no, I'll just I think you know first of all, thank you both again for having us on the show. This is you know it's always a pleasure to to have these conversations with Preston uh, it even gives me a deeper like appreciation and understanding of the book that we created, uh which is is very meaningful for me, but really just to kind of hammer home the fact that this isn't strictly just for horror fans it certainly is it's a love letter to horror movies absolutely there's no doubt about it um but it's it's like i said earlier it's for human beings you know if if you've been through it if you're going through it if you know someone that's going through it there might be some things in here that can help you navigate you know that and potentially a bit of an easier way so that's what i've got
1: I'm going to say that um, something that you said earlier, Chris, too, is just the idea of like how self-help has become so cringy, especially to like our generation. And honestly, this is more um, like hobby development, personal development. I think that people can really benefit from the idea of using what you like to be a better person Um, it's so much, it's different than like, we grew up with like Oprah and Dr. Phil and our moms reading the, how to be a happier person books. This is, this is really like invest in yourself and take what you like to do already and use it for your life. It is, it's such a great concept. So I wanted to touch on what you said about health, self help being really like personal development. This is an investment
3: people. I like that. I was actually working on a book that got sidetracked kind of because of this book that I was tentatively calling Unself Help Yourself. Like, oh, yeah. huh. But maybe 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 I'll get the wheel spinning on that again um down I'd the line. But anyway.
1: I'd love to bounce <laughs> ideas, whatever you need them here.
3: All right. All right. I like it. I like it.
0: I, I like that idea though and just the whole concept of this book it's so subversive to what people like my parents think horror is uh the the constant question is just like why do you like all that gory gross what's stuff wrong with you? yeah what's wrong with you when you what tell people you're you like horror? <laughs> um but this this takes ownership of it back from those negative stigmas and t- can turn it into such a positive thing for people in our fandom in our community. And I just, I adore it for what it manages to do. Um, Preston, any closing thoughts?
2: I think everybody else has really summed it up perfectly. Uh, I hope that the book reaches its audience and uh, I, I hope it has some positive impact on the world. Yeah.
1: So you usually ask this question, um, but how do people contact you or keep up with you? Like what is the best way for people to find find your platforms?
3: I live in San Diego. Come meet me in person. Oh, I need friends. Remember, I, I need <laughs> friends out here. Damn it! You're
1: <laughs> no. inviting like a really
3: <laughs> no. Don't say that right now, because Stoker Con's
0: in San Diego next year, and everyone's you.
3: gonna your house. <laughs> well, maybe maybe I'll open those doors. No, but really, yeah. I don't know. I'm on Facebook and and uh, Instagram. I my Instagram handle is just my name with an X before it and after it.
2: That's it. Preston. Uh, I'm primarily on Twitter, and I'm just at Preston Vossel, uh, P-R-E-S-T-O-N-F-A-S-S-E-L. All
0: right. Well, thank you both one more time for coming on here tonight. This was a joy. Um, Everybody listening, please make sure you grab a copy of Necessary Death when it comes out later at the end of this month. We hope you enjoy it, and we will talk to you next time. Um, that's it for this week but please before you go don't forget to like subscribe review or take time to truly reflect about your streaming service of choice and stay spooky
1: has tied bells to everybody in the morgue so if they heard a ting they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go